Uh, let me first start off by saying there was actually a typo in the bulletin. The gospel reading was meant to be Luke 18. So I will read that for us later in the sermon. It was, a, it was an odd choice of scripture reading for the topic at hand. But I will read later for us Luke chapter 18, 1 through 8. But there's a lot of talk about justice in our world right now. The world sometimes feels like it's in chaos. We're still in the midst of a pandemic. There's a lot of racial injustices that have been revealed to us. There's riots and looting. It's an election season. Sometimes it just feels like the world's going to hell. And I was told there was going to be a handbasket. And I'm still waiting for that. <laughs> but inside every human heart... There is a cry for justice. There is an inherent need that all of us have for justice. Whatever is going on in the world around us, something in us says that's not right. And something needs to be done about that. From the littlest things, whether it's one of my kids demanding punishment for his brother for stealing his toy, or a whole community that's mourning a string of unjust deaths at the hands of those entrusted to protect them. We cry out for justice. There's so much need in our world around us, whether it's racial injustice, economic injustice, corruption, the, the horrors of human trafficking, the holocaust of abortion. The list goes on and on, but inside all of these, underneath all of these, is an understanding that something is wrong and needs to be made right. And many of us are asking, in this season especially, what can we do about this? What should we do about this? What does God want to do about this? And it's to that last question that we want to turn in this series, because if any question matters, that's the one that matters. What does God want to do with all of this injustice? For us, as Christians, to engage the injustices of our world, we have to know what God's heart is. We have to know his plan to bring about justice in the world, for righting the wrongs and creating a just world, for bringing peace, shalom, that he designed us for. So this is the first of three sermons, as Reverend Alex said, and in this one we're just going to be laying the biblical foundations for how we can understand what justice is, what God's heart is, and how to answer that question. What does God want to do? And so, in a world around us, there are so many definitions of justice. Many people are just deciding for themselves what justice is and how it should be done, and trying to then tell us and conform us to their view of their understanding of justice and how it should be done. As Christians, we have an important responsibility to not let ourselves be taught and discipled about justice from our media, from our politicians, from the world around us that does not know God. We have a responsibility to not let ourselves be taught by that. We have a responsibility to turn to Scripture, to turn to the Lord and His authority in our lives, the God of justice who tells us what justice is. And we're hearing, there's a lot of confusion right now. There's a lot of different ideas about justice, what it is, how to go about it. And often those ideas are at odds with each other. 
And biblical justice has things in common and touch points with all of these different ideas, but can't fully agree with any of them. So we have ideas about justice as equality or equity, the scales of balance that Lady Justice holds. Uh, you know, you have a punishment and then you have a, uh, for a crime. A punishment fits the crime. So there's proportion, so there's balance. There's fairness across the board. There's equity. Some would call it about, we would say justice is about freedom to flourish. Freedom to pursue whatever you want. Others would say justice is about the power structures that exist in the world. The oppressors over the oppressed. And everything is viewed through that lens. Biblical justice, what we're talking about here, is deeper than all of those. Because it's rooted in the heart of God, it's eternal and does not change with the fashions of culture. It's something that satisfies the needs of all secular ideas of justice and yet is encapsulated by none of them. And in this series, we're going to set aside for right now the, the ideas of our civic justice systems, our legal justice systems. While that's important, human systems of justice are, are necessary for a functioning society, but they can only do so much. Only God can bring about real justice, making right that which has been wronged. And that's the definition I want to work with for us through this series, that biblical justice, God's heart, is, is about making things right. At its core, justice is about making things right. And so I want to propose to us that justice, rather than being something that's secondary for Christians, something we'll get to down the line after we've saved some souls, justice is really central to the gospel itself. Because Christianity isn't just about forgiving your sins. Christianity isn't just about God seeing our sins and wiping the slate clean, forgiving us and saying, carry on as you were. Forgiveness is not enough. There must be justice. Forgiveness in itself doesn't fully express God's holiness and his love for this world. And illustrating it like this, if someone steals my car and totals it, crashes it into a tree, and they're, they're caught, they come before a judge, and the judge says, well, this was pretty bad, but we're going to forgive you. We're going to let you go free. And I haven't had justice done. I, I can't afford a new car. I, you know, I need some kind of repayment and compensation. I need, I need something to fulfill justice more than just forgiveness. God's justice is focused on making things right, of bringing out a world of peace, of shalom that he designed for us. Our world sometimes sees justice as punitive, punishment. God's justice is more than punitive, it's restorative. It's meant to restore us, we're meant to restore the world to the way he meant it to be. So throughout this sermon, uh, I want to I focus on the foundations that we see in Scripture that God reveals to us through his word that's authoritative for us and the foundations of what biblical justice is. And I want to focus on three things. God's nature, human nature, and where we're all going. 
God's nature, human nature, and where we're all going. The first is God's nature, and we're going to spend the most time here because obviously it's the most important. And we'll start with the obvious in God's nature, that God is just. God is just. Genesis 18.25, God says to Abraham, Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? He is the judge of all things, and so he has to be just. And for him to be just means that all of his judgments are right. Every judgment that God makes is the right judgment. And there can be no wrong judgment that comes from him. And he's just because he's perfectly fair. There's no bias in him. Romans 2.11 says that God shows no impartiality. There's no favoritism. There's no bias. He cannot be bought. He cannot be corrupted. He is just. And he must bring justice. Where does that justice come from in God's heart? Justice is the the action, the the outward actions of judgment that God makes. And I want to propose to us that God's justice comes out of his holiness and his love. Both his holiness and his love working together. God is holy. The angels say that he is holy, holy, holy. And that word holy means uh, originally that just set apart. A set apartness. Separate from the stains and the evil and the wickedness of the world. He's unstained. He's uncorrupted. He's pure. He's good. Because none of that can touch him. God is holy and he cannot abide sin or injustice or evil. But he's also love. God is love, 1 John tells us. And his nature is to love. Love is not just a feeling. Love is not just a sentimentality. Love is self-giving sacrifice. Love gives of itself. Love does. Love is action-oriented, not just a feeling. So when God is set apart and holy, but his love compels him to act, his justice comes against all that is evil and plaguing his beloved. The objects of God's fierce love are trapped under the weight of sin and wickedness and injustice. God must act out of his holiness and his love. Sometimes we call this wrath. God's fierce love comes against that which plagues his beloved. And it burns hot. God's wrath sees his loved ones under the weight and the oppression of sin and evil and going towards death, and he must act to save them. His wrath, then, is a wonderful and necessary thing. The Croatian theologian Miroslav Volf, in his book Exclusion and Embrace, says it negatively like this. A non-indignant God would be an accomplice in injustice, deception, and violence. A non-indignant God, a God who was not wrathful, a God who did not act in anger against that which came against his beloved. He would be an accomplice in evil and injustice. 
So God's wrath, God's action on behalf of us out of love for the world is coming against evil. So God's, this is God's justice that comes out of his holiness and his love for us. And our, that's why our Old Testament reading from Isaiah 30 said that the Lord, the just and righteous and holy one, he waits to be gracious to you. He waits to be gracious to you. He wants to show his love to you and his hatred of the sin that oppresses you. That's God's nature. The second source, the second foundation of biblical justice is human nature. We have to have uh, a biblical understanding of human nature in order to do biblical justice. And from the first pages of the Bible... We open up to the beginning of Genesis and we read that humans are made in the image of God. That God breathed life into Adam and Eve and into you and me. And he said, let us create them in our image and in our likeness. So every single person bears the image of God in the deep parts of their soul. No matter how corrupted, no matter how distorted it might be, every single person bears that image in the world. And that means that every single person has an inherent dignity and worth because of that image that's in them. That is a non-negotiable for Christians. When we are out in the world and we don't recognize the image of God in people, or when we defame the image of God in people, we are not doing biblical justice. This is why racism is sin. Discrimination against people for who they are is sin. Mistreatment of other people who bear the image of God is sin because each person carries that dignity, that worth, that beauty of God in them. And we have to recognize that. On a side note, but a very important side note, this is why God has special concern all throughout the scripture for the poor and the oppressed, the widow, the orphan, the immigrant. He shows concern for them because the world is not concerned about them. And they bear the image of God, and God exalts the humble. It's not as if he loves the poor or the oppressed any more than he loves you or me. But the poor and the oppressed, the marginalized of the world, are not on an equal footing with the rich, the oppressors, the majority of the population. So God is consistently pointing out to us that these people bear my image. They matter. They're important to me. Reminding us of the human dignity that's inherent and not based on any social or economic status. God has a special concern for the poor because the world doesn't. His heart is for them because they bear his image, that the world has forgotten that. And he sets that example for us, and so should we have that same concern, because God actually identifies with them, as he told us in Matthew 25. So every single human bears the image of God. If that's not a foundational idea of our approaches to justice, then we're not doing biblical justice. On the flip side of human nature, though, we flip another page over in the beginning of the Bible, we hear about our sinful nature. 
that the fall happens. Sin entered the world. Sin entered every human heart. And all of us are born into a sinful nature. Romans 3 tells us all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every one of us are plagued by and under the oppression and the slavery of sin that is leading us into death. If we don't acknowledge that in our approaches to justice, we're not doing biblical justice. So we have to hold these in tension. That every single person has incalculable worth and dignity and yet are corrupted by sin. We have to hold those in tension or else we're not doing biblical justice. Third, where all this is going. The fancy theological word is eschatology, the, the study of the eschaton, the end times, where all of history is headed. History is on a trajectory, but it's not actually the one that most people think. God is bringing all of creation to a point to an end where there will be a final judgment and a new creation. There's going to be a final judgment when Jesus returns, where justice is finally fulfilled, where every evil is judged and receives its punishment. All of us will be judged on the basis of how we responded to Jesus Christ. And part of real justice is the very real consequences for rejecting God's love and his purposes in the world. Hell is real. Hell is God's justice for those who reject him. And that will happen when he brings us to that point in history. But then that will bring about a new creation. A new creation that God remakes all things in order to bring about perfect justice. This is not a, a worldly utopia. It's not, it's not a utopia that we can work for. And I find that in our culture today, a lot of people, especially those identifying more as progressive, are, are looking towards a utopian vision of the world, like Star Trek. Star Trek is this idea of, uh, if you're nerdy like me and if you've seen Star Trek, uh, it's way in the future and there's this utopian vision where humans have evolved and progressed and left behind all this war and racism and ignorance of our past. Humans have evolved and progressed to build a utopian vision. But God says that's not how it happens. Because we are sinful in our nature, we cannot progress beyond our sin. And God must remake all things. Even as we heard last week at the end of Revelation, the Lord says, I am making all things new. A new heaven and a new earth mean that everything else passes away. This alone brings real justice, brings real peace brings about God's vision for how he created the world to be. This is something that can only come about through Jesus' return and a new heaven and a new earth, not by anything we can do or accomplish. So with this eschatology, with this returning of Jesus and the judgment and the new creation, are we to just sit back and wait for this? Is God just going to delay all of his justice until that point? No. 
we're, we're called to bear witness to this new creation that's coming. We're called to point toward it with everything that we do. We're called to live in the kingdom of God here and now and act in accordance with that new creation here and now, pointing towards it prophetically, even as we cannot by ourselves bring it about. So these three foundations, God's nature, human nature, and where we're all going, these, I want to propose to us, are essential to understanding biblical justice. They're the foundation for the unique witness that Christians bring into the world in regards to justice. With all the confusion and clamor around in our culture about what justice is, Christians need to be the ones presenting a unique gospel, biblical witness to what justice is and what God's heart is. And we seek God's heart. We seek what he's done. We ask him what he wants to do. And we look at what he already has done about injustice, which we're going to hear a lot more about next week. But God has not sat by and and watched injustice and evil destroy his world. He has entered into our mess. He has entered into this world full of injustice, evil, oppression. And he has experienced the full weight of it on himself. Because Jesus came among us as a homeless wanderer, as someone who identified with poor and the oppressed. He upset the status quo of the religious and political leaders, overturning the power structures. And he experienced injustice with a sham trial and a politically motivated execution. He did this in order to make things right to right every wrong, to crush the serpent's head, to destroy the works of evil and injustice forever. God, in his holiness and love and justice, does not just sit by and wait, but he enters into our world to make things right. And he sends you to participate in that work. He works through us to continue that work. So what do we do? We're going to get into that in the coming weeks. But uh, fundamentally, when we look at first at God and who he is and what his heart is for justice, I want to look then to Luke chapter 18. And let me read this for us. Jesus told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and said, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice, so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect, who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? This parable that Jesus tells, tells of a wicked judge, an evil judge, and a widow who asks him to bring justice. 
and he refuses, yet because of her persistence, he gives in, and he does what she asks. This is in contrast, deep contrast, to the God of justice, the God who's good, who loves, and who acts on behalf of his people. Will not God give justice to his elect, Jesus asks. Will he delay long over them? No, he will not. But he needs his people to ask for justice. Jesus tells us parable, he says in verse 1, that we might always pray and not lose heart. So our first call in the work of biblical justice is prayer. Our first call and task is always to pray. And prayer may not seem like it's enough. It may not seem like it's really doing anything meaningful or substantial. It may feel to some people like a cop-out answer. Your thoughts and prayers have worn out their welcome. We need action, some people will say. If that's your reaction when you hear prayer as the first task, I want to invite you to come and know the Lord more and more for yourself. To know the Lord in his justice, in his power, in his goodness and his love for you and for this world. And knowing that he alone can bring about justice and peace. Prayer is our first and most important work. It's not the only thing that we're called to do to pursue real justice. But if real justice can only come from God, then prayer has to be our first priority. Prayer is our most important work because it acknowledges who God is, who we are, and where we're all going. We're going to talk more in the next two weeks about how God has accomplished his justice through the cross and what he wants to do through us in this world. But we have to start with these foundational truths of Scripture, who God is, who we are, and where we're all headed, so that we can know God's heart for justice, so that we can faithfully engage our world with the unique biblical witness of justice here and now. Let's pray. God of justice, we acknowledge that sometimes the the injustices of our world, the oppressions, the evils that we see plaguing all of our society feel overwhelming. They feel too much and we don't know what to do. Sometimes it's easier to just settle back and to go along with what we hear in the world around us about what's right what's just, what needs to be done. But give us that grace, Lord, to seek you, to seek your heart, to be so rooted in your word and in your spirit that we can act as your faithful witnesses in the world for your glory's sake. Amen.